You are listening to the Senior Pastor Podcast, where four giants of the Restoration Movement walk us through the issues facing the church today. Your four hosts are Bob Russell, Don Wilson, Ken Eidelman, and Scott Rawlings. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor. With more than 7,000 investors, the Solomon Foundation is committed to helping the local church grow. When you partner with the Solomon Foundation, you get an excellent return while making an eternal impact. Start today at www.thesolomonfoundation.org. Welcome to the Senior Pastor Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rawlings, and I am joined, as always, by Bob Russell, the founding pastor of Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, Don Wilson, the founding pastor of CCV in the Phoenix area, Scott Rawlings, the founding pastor of Christ Community Church in Portsmouth, Ohio, Ken Ottoman, the former president of Ozark Christian College and the former lead pastor at Crossroads Christian Church. So our topic today is one that I think is somewhat complicated because where our culture is at, wokeism. Wokeism is something that's been around my entire lifetime. They used to call it being politically correct, and now they call it being woke, but it has certainly grown and expanded, taken over a lot of social media. And I know as a pastor, I've been told, I've had people in my church come up and ask me, are you going to be preaching in any way, shape, or form about homosexuality or gender anytime soon? Because if so, please tell me so that I won't bring my daughter. This is something I've never faced. I've seen political correctness on campuses. I've seen it in workplaces. Now I'm seeing Christians bring it into the church and that sensitivity among the congregation. So what do we do with this? Bob, how would you approach it? Well, I think our responsibility has always been to speak the truth in love. Today, we're so concerned, have been so concerned about reaching the seeker, not offending anybody that the love part, the grace part, takes precedent over the truth part. And so when we're choosing to preach on something or to stand for something, the first question we ask, the one you're talking about, is somebody going to be offended by this? Right. And if that's the first question we've asked, then we're people pleasers rather than God pleasers. Mm-hmm. These same parents who say to, say to you, don't want my daughter to be here, they don't want her to hear the truth. They just don't want to be offended. They don't want her to be turned off to the church. Well, she's already lost to the church. And if the first question we ask, am I going to offend anybody, then we're not going to preach the truth. And as a result, what happens? We assume that people take the same stand they've always taken. But the truth erodes in the heart of people who've been Christians for a long time. And we find out, boy, the people sitting in a pew don't believe what we thought they believed years ago because we're not proclaiming it. But even worse than that, worse than that, is we're losing our own kids. Our kids grew up in the church. They don't hear anything that's going to be offensive. So as a result, we assume that they believe by osmosis the same thing we've always believed. And that's not true. They, they are bombarded with propaganda in social media, school, everywhere they turn. They are shocked later when they find out, boy, the, the, our, our church doesn't approve of homosexuality. or Our church doesn't approve of people living together without marriage. And as a result, we've lost our own kids. That's one of the reasons we're losing so many people as they, what, seven out of 10 is a statistic I read uh, of kids who grew up in the church don't stay, partly because we're not bold enough to preach the truth. We're more concerned about grace than we are truth. Dad, I, I, this is a silly question for you because I hear you offend people every week. So you've had to have seen it. 
the growth of it over the last 20 years, even in Portsmouth, Ohio. We are a university town, but we haven't had to deal with this too much until really lately with social media and with, I mean, we had a professor in town who had to file a federal lawsuit to keep from being fired because he refused to, a Christian man who used to go to our church, and he refused to call anyone in class by a gender that was not their biological gender. And they were going to fire him. He had to file a federal lawsuit. And so I heard about that all over social media in our little town of 20-some thousand. But I'm guessing that you don't even give it much mind when you get up and preach. But am I wrong? I'm going to ride the same pony that Bob was on there because I think the problem lies as much with us when we're talking about the church. I can remember I was a youth minister 900 years ago at First Christian Church in Columbus, Indiana, and T.K. Smith was my boss, and, and Brother Smith would take the time to tell us about the two preachers that preceded him, Z.T. Sweeney and W.H. Book. We need a little what they had. I'll sound like as old as I am, but this really happened. Bartholomew County, in Colum- where Columbus, Indiana is, was dry. It was loaded with bootleggers. And W.H. Book, about once every six weeks, would French fry him on Sunday morning. And so the head bootlegger in Bartholomew County died. They were going to embarrass him to see and ask him if he would preach the funeral. He said, yeah, bring him on. Glad to have him. And back then, kind of different from what we do today, you know, they had the open casket and so on, and they had all the preliminaries. W.H. Book came down out of that big old pulpit there walked to the head of the uh, casket and said, see him? He's in hell. And the rest of you bootleggers are going to be there too if you don't repent and come to Jesus. Do you know a single preacher? And and, uh, this really happens. Mm -hmm. eh? And do we know a single preacher today who has whatever it takes? I doubt any of us would anymore because we think it's rude. I say sick them. And I don't know of any of us who, who are strong enough to to take the criticism that would come if we did that. Now, at my age, I don't care. And uh, so it helps being older and dirt. <laughs> Ken, what about you? What do well, you wokeism is the new fad religion of our generation. It's, it's false doctrine, and we need to address it. But the thing that has to change is not the content of our message, not the truth uh, that's in Christ. But it's got to be done with a different tone to get through to this generation. It's speaking the truth in love. When Paul admonished Timothy to preach the word, he told him to do it with patience, patient teaching. And I think we've got to come off, not necessarily like an Old Testament prophet, but more like, like Jesus when he was confronted with the Pharisees. He would ask probing questions. He did not react. He was not insecure. He was not defensive. And in this day and time, I think if we come off that way, particularly from the pulpit we're talking about, we've got to come across with a compassionate tone and preach hard truths, but with compassion and passion. Wherever you draw the line is going to be the battlefront. So draw the line where Scripture draws the line. And don't be bashful about using the language of Scripture when you're dealing with it. You don't have to say same-sex attraction when what you ought to be saying is homosexuality. Mm-hmm. I just last night was at the um, Thursday night service here at Southeast, and we're in a series called Generous Marriage. And last night it was on uh, generous sexuality. And it was a, it was a model 
of how to speak the truth in love. And the, the tone of the message was, was, the content could have been offensive, but the tone, you couldn't, you couldn't get past the tone, which made it well-received. Does that make sense? I read a, a quote that said, culture is not what we say, it's what we allow. And so basically what we're talking about is what we say from the pulpit. But it's like preaching on going out and reaching your lost neighbors, but never never really instructing them on how to go out and do it and follow up on it. So I think the issue for us is we can't just say that wokeism is wrong, which it is wrong. But what's the battle plan that you're giving to your people to make a difference in their schools and the communities? Isn't it interesting? Did we ever think that we would join together with Muslim parents in uh, standing for what we we would consider biblical truth? And so that, to me, is more the issue today. It's not just what we say, and I believe we do have to speak the truth, but we've got to figure out a way to be salt and light and take a stand in some of those areas, or we're just talking to ourselves. Because... Jesus was inviting to everybody, but he wasn't inclusive to everybody. And I think what we sometimes think, or we're brainwashed into believing that the gospel is for everybody. Well, he invited everybody, but he didn't include everybody. There was still some standards of what he expected if you wanted to go to heaven. So I think the issue is then how, how do we take a stand against it, as you have all have said, but how are we going to mobilize our people to go to into the marketplace and say, sorry, uh, we're, we're not going to allow that. Isn't it interesting that the whole uh, Bud, Budweiser target, yeah. their, their their market share has gone down incredibly. It wasn't mm-hmm. because of a pastor. Right. It was because of a couple God-fearing musicians that said, let's let's take a stand. So we're, we're going to have to reevaluate not our message, but our methods, I think, of how we get this done. Well, that's interesting. And also, just to, to note, I think somebody heard on a podcast the other day say that Walt Disney has lost over a billion dollars in the last year, over a billion, all over basic backlash against this. But I don't think I've heard a sermon on it, on exactly what you're talking about, Don. I mean, on addressing it, on identifying it, on how to respond to it. I haven't heard, maybe there have been, maybe at McLean Bible Church or other places there were, there are solid congregations there who have spoken up in those areas, like in Virginia and Maryland, where we've seen parents, Muslim, Christian, and Orthodox Jews stand up and say, we're, we're not subjecting our kids to this nonsense, where you sit there and give them graphic books on sexuality and tell them they can choose their own gender and all that kind of nonsense. I mean, how do we, how do we do that? Because there's going to be a lot yeah. of young pastors going to be I, really I, hesitant. I agree with Ken that the tone really matters. I'm not nearly as concerned about the tone as I am about our silence. Mm-hmm. We're not speaking at all about issues so that we don't offend anybody. The disciples came to Jesus and said, don't you know that the Pharisees were offended by what they what you said? Jesus offended some people. He offended the rich young ruler by saying, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And if our first focus is, how is this going to be received by our culture? That, that's a wrong focus. I think we need to equip our people to be able to go out into the culture and make a difference. I remember when we built a large building at Southeast, there was a lot of criticism in the community about spending all that money for a building. So I took a sermon and I tried to answer the five or six main criticisms. People in the church came to me in droves saying, thank you. 
we needed some ammunition to go out. We need to know what to say. And I think we need to be concerned, as Don mentioned, about equipping our people to deal with what they're facing every day. And our primary focus should not be, how is this going to be received by our culture? The culture is going to reject it regardless of the tone. Mm-hmm. We need to have a primary focus. Uh, we're preaching to the saints, and we've got to equip them. We're in a war. Yeah. We're in a war. And the Army takes six weeks of training to prepare the guys for the horrible things they're going to face out there. And if our people come into church and there's a war going outside and, and, and they're dealing with it every day and they don't hear about these things at all, they, they come up empty. And I think most people out there, they are not going to be force-fed wokeism. And I think that's what you see with the Bud Light and the Target reaction. I think the pendulum has swung way too far to the left for the average person who has some semblance of Christian morality, a Bible-based morality. And I think there's been a reaction. I think we may see more of that. I hope we do. Uh, I remember 20 years ago, Kayleen and I took an anniversary trip to Kansas City, and we were there over a weekend, and we went to Country Club Christian Church in Kansas City, which the name of the church says it all. Uh, We went in early. We're not welcome. We found our seat. Tumbleweeds blowing through the sanctuary on Sunday morning. If somebody, a terrorist, had set off a bomb in there, nobody would have been hurt. And I was looking through the bulletin. It said they had a prayer meeting Wednesday night. I was encouraged until I read the fine print. The the participants in the prayer meeting were going to be a a woman who was uh, the pastor of the United Church of Christ. There was a Hindu cleric, and there was a Muslim cleric, and that was the prayer meeting. That was 20 years ago. Wokeism is not new. It's just being advanced and embraced by the culture in ways that it hasn't been in the past. It's more popular today. But I, I'm hopeful that we see this uh, this kind of reaction uh, on the part of people, but it's got to be underpinned or it won't last. And this could be another separate discussion, but I think going back to, you know, yes, it's been around. I saw it. You know, I attended a uh, church which remained nameless to protect the guilty when I was in Charleston, West Virginia, practicing law. It's all the same thing. It's been around for a while, but it spread so much, especially because of social media and because it's embraced by the major media corporations and so forth. But here's the problem. And I don't know how many of you gents are familiar with a guy by the name of Scott Adams. He's a fairly controversial figure. He's best known for creating the comic strip Dilbert. But then he got in really big trouble and got canceled in 2016 because he predicted Trump was going to win the presidency. He said, here's why. Trump understands emotion trumps logic. And he feeds this anger and this you've been promised all this stuff and you haven't gotten it because they're all a bunch of crooks and all that kind of stuff. Lock her up, you know. And he screams and he yells. He says, we live in a culture where logic has gone out the window. And if I feel this is right, it's right. How do you combat that? What do you do? As Scott Adams says, we live in an age where facts no longer matter. So what do you do with that large swath of the culture that I just find that offensive, so therefore it's offensive and you're wrong? Uh, I'll, I'll reinforce the same thing I said before. It's interesting how we're saying how should our preachers respond. The issue is not 
just how our preachers respond, how the people in the pew. Because the issue, like Ken said, it's not that maybe Kyle preached a good sermon last night against that. What battle plan do you give the people to walk out and go implement it? I mean, I heard people in the church in Phoenix that I go to, and they said, wow, it was exciting to see our pastor finally take a stand on wokeism. Well, that's not the issue. What are you going to do when you go? And one of the guys in my small group is a vice president of Sprouts, and they were talking about wokeism and all they're trying to do to promote people. And he took a stand and said, I do not support this. And he basically, vice president in the company, said, I quit. I'm no longer I'm no longer going to be a part of this organization if that's what you're doing. Well, he paid more of a price. He, right. he had to take a stand. We have enough people in the body of Christ that could make a difference, but I'm not sure that the majority of the Christians in the pew will take a stand against wokeism. A lot of them are afraid. I mean, they're, they're afraid. They're afraid they could lose their job. And this is what's really sad, meeting people my age, people in their 50s, who are terrified of being made fun of on Twitter or Facebook. And it's like, you guys need a spinal transplant, for goodness sakes. But I, I think they need to see that first in the pulpit. Mm-hmm. And I, they, they need to have an example of courage. I might have told this story before, but after the Supreme Court approved gay marriage, Wayne Smith, who was reti- a retired preacher at Southland, called me and said, Bob, I went to church on Sunday so mad, I wanted the preacher to talk about why that was wrong. Uh, they approved gay marriage, and Obama lit up the White House in rainbow colors, and I was furious, and I I wanted to be reinforced, but the preacher that morning didn't say anything about it. He said, I came away from church madder than I went in in. So he said, I've written a letter to the Lexington Herald leader expressing my feelings, and I want to read it to you. He read it to me in the last paragraph, said, now, if you're a preacher and you didn't say anything about this on Sunday, you're a coward. And he said, now, Bob, I got some information from for this from one of your blogs, so I've signed both your name and my name to this <laughs> I said, Wayne, well, a couple things. First of all, that last paragraph, if you've got a disagreement with that preacher, you talk to him personally, don't do it in a letter. And secondly, your name carries no, I've got enough trouble in Louisville, just do your name. <laughs> so he did. And, you know, the Lexington Herald leader, to their credit, called him back and said, look, we'll, we'll give you an entire half page as an op-ed if you will expand on this, which he did. But my point is, uh, Fred Craddock once said, the preacher doesn't just speak to the church. Sometimes he speaks for the church. And if people are getting beat down and they're seeing what's going on in the culture and they come to church and nothing is said, they feel betrayed. They want the preacher to take a stand. Then if the preacher says something, they can take, as you're talking about, the ammunition that they've received and and go out in the world and be reinforced. But But they've got to see an example of courage. It's amazing how bold Satan is. Who would have ever thought two years ago that they would talk about uh, gender scramble and anybody, that first comes out of that, that, nothing's going to happen to that. But I mean, Satan doesn't let up and he just keeps hammering away and pretty soon the whole culture has moved. He's so bold and and we're so cowardly. Our school teachers really need our help. I mean, they're under tremendous pressure. And in the state of Ohio, there's really some good things happening. There's an organization in the state called for Christian Virtues. It's like CCV, only it's not the church here in Louisville. We met with them, and 
and there's about 20 of our state legislatures who are there, and they're going to make it possible for churches like ours to have a Christian school. And the reason we can and we can start right away is the, they've passed the backpack law that allows the tax money. It's about $6,000 for each student in, in up to the eighth grade, and it's about 8000 for high school kids that follows the student, and they can bring that with them. And we've got school teachers who have come to me and said, please consider me if you start a school. Please, I want out of this. The pressure must be awful. And the school system is something that we are going to have to address if we're going to address this. Don, you're saying, Bob, you're saying on a, from the pulpit and then take it out into the culture. And speaking of people saying something from the pulpit and ticking people off, I ticked a lot of people off when I preached that I believe today it is, with some exceptions, notable exceptions, it is foolish to send your child to a state university. I said, if you can afford it, send them to a good Christian university, because otherwise you're going to be paying out through the nose for your child to be indoctrinated into secularism and socialism. That's what you're going to get. And the socialism needs to be tied directly to wokeism. And I just got through reading, and I brought it with me, figuring that these fellas can't read anymore, so I brought it to, I can read it to them. So they'll have, I read a Solzhenitsyn's speech that he gave in May back in 80, 1983. He was a cockeyed prophet. He hit this right. He says, we're volunteering in the West to do what Soviet Union made people do at the point yeah. of a gun and at the end of a bayonet. Well, we now know. In fact, uh, that's one of the things I was talking about to Dr. Moeller when we had him on, was we now know that the Soviet Union and its satellites, so forth, they actually sent professors over here who were masquerading as they were fleeing the Soviet Union. In fact, they had been commissioned to come and teach in our schools like Herbert Marcuse at Columbia University. Well, the whole the oh. whole Frankfurt movement came to Columbia yes. and were accepted there. Yep. And they were as left-wing as Mount Satan. Well, and, they, and, and but the thing is, it's not just socialism. It is what you see, and Carl Truman's got a book on it called Strange New World. And in Carl Truman's book, Dr. Truman's book, he said, look, it wasn't just that they were just teaching socialism. They were also teaching what we're seeing now, that gender fluidity and sexual fluidity is part of the revolution. And so they've been teaching this. And so we've been indoctrinating people. And for a long time, Columbia was the top school to go get an education degree. And that's what they subscribe to. Should we really be so shocked that that's what the schools adopted? And that's not what we're seeing. Preachers need to realize that, that we have significant influence. We are to be thought leaders and bring Christian truth to bear on the culture. That's our role. So we've got to use the influence we have. We think of it too little, or we think too little of it, and we've got to capitalize on the influence we have. I think Ron DeSantis, and this is not a political statement, but Ron DeSantis and the conflict with Disney in Florida is a, a real test case. Uh, here you have a man who is not doing what's politically expedient. He is taking a stand for what's right and true. He's paying a price for it, but he's also rallying a lot of people, particularly in the state of Florida. He's, he's tremendously popular in that state, and he takes a hard line on wokeism. 
and he and his wife both. And uh, and I just pray that they'll continue to to hold the line because uh, I think people are get, getting a lot of heart across the country. He's putting a lot of heart in people to uh, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Well, the thing that bothers me is a lot of our young preachers. I had one tackle me the other day, and he said, "What is woke? It they don't know." And I think we need to carefully define it because, honestly, they don't know. And you cannot separate wokeism from Marxism. It cannot be separated. They are tied, and the initial thrust of it is always atheism, always, which opens it up for us to—we can go out and say anything we want to once that becomes the issue because that's the heart of the matter. Until atheism is established— Wokeism cannot have its freedom to do what they choose. I just think we've done, with the best of intentions, we haven't done a real good job of defining it from the Christian point of view. I think there's theistic wokeism and atheistic wokeism. Uh, you've seen clips on social media or on the, the news, people who are leading churches. And those churches are churches that believe that, you know, God is tolerant of anything and everything. And so there is a theistic wokeism that's growing up alongside just, the atheistic. saw a major split within the Methodist church, basically. Because that's that's of what it. the Bible calls false teaching. It is. That's yeah. simple, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's that simple. So what if, if I'm hearing you guys correctly, and I do think there has been some backlash. I think we've seen that in Florida with Ron DeSantis getting overwhelmingly reelected despite his fight with Disney. But what we're also seeing is one of the most heartbreaking things I've seen, I don't know if you gents have seen it, are the testimonies of people who transitioned when they were young to a quote-unquote another gender, taking hormones and puberty blockers and all of that other kind of stuff, and even having sexual reassignment surgery, and now they're coming out and saying they regret what they did. And it's pretty powerful testimony. And they can't believe that anybody let them at 14, 15, 16 make those decisions. I do think that is definitely one spot where we need to stand up and be leaders and, and, and speak out because this is just, this is, this is crazy. Well, Matthew, I, I think that if our youngsters who are listening take a little testimony because don't worry about it because I can tell you from personal experience among the homosexual community, and they, they have their prayer meeting and say, well, I'm going to an Episcopal church because they're accepted there. There's a tent downstairs where they meet every Wednesday, and I'm invited. And I, I'm probably the only preacher in town who has been, shall we say, somewhat firm <laughs> on that issue because I just keep telling them, you know, read the first chapter of the Book of Romans, and the issue is settled if you believe the Bible. You don't, you don't have a choice. But at the same time, you can take a firm and clear position, and the people will love you and respect you if you treat them right. If you treat them right, if one of those guys, even though they go to an Episcopal church, if they really got in trouble, they'd come see me. And I, and I say that, you know, my mother said, blessed is he who toots his own horn, for it shall be well tooted. I realize I'm tooting a little bit here, but I, I just want you to know that that indeed is something that you can do. And you don't have to worry about that. other. It'll take care of itself. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's involved here, too. 
people expect us old guys to toot our own horns. Is that right? Oh, okay. yeah, it's part of aging. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I think that's one of the things we have to be careful of with this podcast. If I'm a younger preacher yeah. listening right now, I'm thinking, well, these four old guys or whatever it is, yeah, listen to them. And part of our generation is to blame because to me for the last 15 or 20 years, most of the sermons in the pulpit have been feel-good sermons, and we really haven't been preaching biblical sermons of teaching people how to live separate lives. And so, yeah, it's finally coming to fruition, but I'm not sure it's the younger pastor's fault. They are just now facing it a lot, and they're going to have to take a stand. And that's why I'll, I'll say this many times. I'm excited that this is happening because if I look throughout history and in the book of Acts, the church only grew when there was persecution. And America, the church hasn't had persecution. So persecution, we're going to find out what we're made of as followers of Christ. And so to me, if revival is going to come, this is what we're going to have to face. Because usually when change happens, if it's real sudden, we react. If it happens slowly, we just buy into it. And that's, so this to me has been coming for several years. And I think it's going to be time for Christians you're going to have to stand up for what you believe, and it will cost you your job. It's going to cost you a lot of things. And so I, I think it's been coming, and, and it's coming to a head. And yes, we need to take a stand, but I don't think it's always the preachers right now that are the ones that aren't speaking up against this. I guess the takeaway of this is, Dad, I think you're right. It needs to be defined. And the problem is it's such a blanket because it encompasses everything from Black Lives Matter to gender fluidity and gay rights. And so it, it, it covers so much that it is, is hard to define, but also that the Christian preacher needs to know what it is, they need to study it. And there are several tools out there. Dad, you and I read Fault Lines by Vadi Bakum, which was very good. There's another book, Christianity and Wokeness by Owen Strachan, I believe his name is, down at Midwest Baptist Theological Seminary. So the books are out there. You can find them, learn it, study it, and be willing to stand up, preach on it, set an example, preach biblical sermons on this, urge your congregation to act. I always loved the way William Willimon, who used to be the chaplain at Duke Divinity School, whenever anyone would come up to him and say, good sermon, he'd always say, we'll see. And I think that's what we're talking about, isn't it? Folks, thanks for listening to another episode of the Senior Pastor Podcast. I want to thank our, our co-hosts here, Bob Russell, Don Wilson, Scott Rawlings, Ken Eidelman. You can find all of them online and all the stuff that they are doing. Until next time, remember, if you want wisdom, you go to those who've been there, done that. Thank you for listening. This has been the Senior Pastor Podcast, a production of 1801 Media Incorporated. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.